starts in chapter uh, verse 14 through verse 21. It's on uh, uh, page 6 of your bulletin if you want to follow along. Ephesians three fourteen to 21. For this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Buenos dias. La lectura de hoy viene del libro de Efesios, capítulo 3, versículos 14 al 21. Por esta razón me arrodillo delante del Padre de quien recibe nombre toda familia en el cielo y en la tierra. Le pido que, por medio del Espíritu y con el poder que procede de sus gloriosas riquezas, los fortalezca a ustedes en lo íntimo de su ser, para que por fe Cristo habite en sus corazones. Y pido que, arraigados y cimentados en amor, puedan comprender, junto con todos los santos, cuán ancho Y largo, alto y profundo es el amor de Cristo. En fin, que conozcan ese amor que sobrepasa nuestro conocimiento para que sean llenos de la plenitud de Dios. Al que pueda hacer muchísimo más que todo lo que podamos imaginar o pedir por el poder que obra eficazmente en nosotros. A Él sea la gloria en la iglesia y en Cristo Jesús por todas las generaciones, por los siglos de los siglos. Amén. Thank you, brothers, for reading. All right, let's pray together. God, we do need your help to hear you as you mean us to hear and for your word to penetrate our hearts and to change our lives, to produce worship that is due to you and love for neighbor that is due to them. And so we pray that you would uh, send your spirit. Uh, We really do need you. I pray that you would bless this time and each of us individually as well. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I grew up in Southern California, and so that means I love weather. I love weather. I love extreme weather. I love when it makes it to the headlines. I'm the weirdo that's watching the hurricane with excitement. The big storm with glee. As a kid, I used to measure the inches, no, the millimeters of rain that would collect in my backyard. Counting it, measuring it, because I love weather. And I like snow, and I like winter, but this is ridiculous. (laughs) I am ready for spring. I don't know about you, this past weekend was a welcome 
change, almost got ahead of myself, didn't want to wear a jacket, even though I was outside cold, right? A little too eager. It's almost spring, we're almost getting there, aren't we? And spring in the city means a lot of things, but it means at least two things. Trees and new construction. (laughs) And Elena and I, as we were looking outside our back window together yesterday, were experiencing both of those things as we were enjoying the warm or cooler breeze that was coming in, looking at the tree that was so far barren and still dead, but talking about how pretty soon new green leaves would be growing on the tree. And as we listened to the bang, bang, bang outside the window, a home around the corner that was getting a little bit of a touch-up, talking about new buildings and construction and the way things change and grow. Plants and buildings under construction. These are actually two themes, two metaphors that the Apostle Paul here uses. You see in verse 17, rooted like a plant in love, building, being established, or built on a foundation of love, two images to talk about growing spiritually. Paul interrupted himself in verse 1 for 13 verses. Now he picks up on where he left off, and he's now sharing a prayer. He's praying for the Ephesian church. So in verse 14, he begins, For this reason I kneel before the Father. He's praying for power to grow. And of course, first of all, do you understand that it takes power to grow spiritually? It doesn't happen automatically. You actually need God to help water your soul, to grow as a fresh and lively plant. You need God to bang in some nails and to raise up some walls if you're to grow as a building. How can we grow? This passage points us to two, three different things. We'll see what we can get through with the remaining time that we have It talks about growing deeply, growing communally, and growing expectantly. Three things that the apostle prays for. That we would grow deeply, that we would grow communally, and that we would grow expectantly. What does that mean? Number one, grow deeply. It really is easy to remain on the surface. That's the case in our normal human relationships, high and by and just to skirt on by each other knowing each other's names, but knowing very little about ourselves, each other. It's no different in our relationship with God. You know, you can know the facts about God and really not know him. A lot of us get away with that. You've been hanging out in the church for a long time, calling yourself religious, maybe even patting yourself on the back, maybe even bearing the name of Jesus, going through the motions. And yet it only remains on the surface. Growing is skin deep. And here's Paul praying for a different thing in verse 16. I pray that out of his glorious riches, that he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that what? That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That Jesus might live in you. What does that mean? So you got to remember that The Bible tells us again and again that if you have embraced Jesus by faith, then Jesus already lives in you. 
Paul clearly states that in Galatians 2.20. He says, Christ lives in me. And again, in Romans 8.11, the spirit of the resurrected Jesus lives in you. It's an amazing, mysterious promise. That when you embrace him fully, that spiritually, the God of the universe makes his home in your soul. Let it blow your minds. What is it, rather, who is it that you are carrying around in you all the time if you have trusted in Christ? Jesus doesn't simply forgive you and then treat you like a stranger. He lives in you. In tough times, Jesus isn't just near you, sitting on the bedside next to you. He lives in you. He doesn't settle for a long-distance relationship with you. He lives in you. Ponder that this week. But if that's true, if Christ already dwells, already dwells in the hearts of Christians, then why is Paul in verse 17 praying that they might have Christ dwell in your hearts? That he might live in you. Well, the answer is this. Jesus may have moved in, but maybe you're still making him live out of his suitcase. See, there are two similar words in the ancient Greek. One means to inhabit a place temporarily, to live as a stranger. This is a word actually that was used in Ephesians 2, talking about aliens and foreigners. But a second word is this. It's one that means to to settle down somewhere, to, to make permanent residence in a place. Paul uses this second word in contrast to that first word. You see, for many of us, Jesus may have moved into your life, but there's yet no signs that he actually lives there. Uh, maybe you treat him like a hotel guest in your life. You know, you kind of reserve the right to kick him out when you want. You won't let him go into certain rooms. You know, you, you do treat him well. He's like a guest. But you know, when someone actually lives in your house, when you treat them like a guest, it can be offensive, can't it? Sometimes. Certain rooms that you won't let him in. Here, Jesus, you can hang here in the living room. But in the relationships room, uh-uh, don't, 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 don't you dare go in on there. Uh, hang out here in the, the kitchen, Jesus, uh, but the career room, no, you can't tell me how I use my gifts and my skills. You better stay out. The money room, definitely don't go in there, hands off my money, Jesus. But I'm so glad you've come into my life. See, Paul is praying For a deeper experience of Christ and his grace. I mean, first of all, what we need as you grow in Christ is not another thing, a different thing, a more advanced thing, a more special, superior thing. What you need is more of the same thing, the same thing of Jesus. Just a deeper, fuller, truer experience of him, not something else. He's praying for an electric experience of Christ that begins to change you. 
That God's spirit would take the facts about Jesus and drill them down into your heart in a way that utterly starts to impact all the rooms in your house, all areas of your life. Because you understand that Jesus has so forgiven your sins and his love that you start to treat people differently in your relationships, more patient, more gentle, more kind. That you actually start to look out and get over yourself. Your selfishness is turned to sacrificial love. Where you start to be changed in what motivates your work, not pride, because it ain't all about you, not even in the workplace, but service and the joy of giving and to make this world a clear reflection of the Savior whom you love. Where you might live, how you rest, how you use your sexuality, how you might spend your money, how you interact with neighbors, how much you enjoy food or even movies, what schools you go, your kids go to or that you go to, how you spend your time, your gifts, that every part of life starts to be impacted by the truth and the love of Jesus because you have finally started letting him unpack his bags more and more. And the house starts to look different, even smell different. The walls are decorated differently. The furniture has changed. Maybe a new wing has been added to the house. In fact, the whole house is being redone because a new master has moved in. And so you're growing more deeply, more truly, more changingly. Is that happening to you? Or are you letting him stay on the surface? as a house guest, as a hotel visitor. Jesus loves you so much. In the book of Revelation, he says, I stand at the door and knock. Will you let me in? You realize he's saying that again to the church. Dear Christian, will you let me more fully in? Growing deeply. Secondly, growing communally. Paul prays in verse 18 that we would have power to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ to really know this love. But notice he tells us right away that learning the love of Jesus starts with being rooted and established in love, in our love for one another. In other words, you want to know the love of Jesus, it starts with loving each other in community. That as we learn to love together with all the Lord's holy people, we will learn more and more about the love of Christ. We do not think like this in our individualistic minds and hearts and societies and church cultures we think it's all about just me and Jesus. and I'm doing just fine. I've got my Bible and good intentions. I'm going to grow fine. Here's this passage. Provocative. Community is critical to knowing Christ's love. We need spiritual power, Paul says, to know the love of Jesus on the cross but he gives that power through our relationships with one another. 
Which is why concretely and practically it's so important for you to be up close and personal in face-to-face relationships with other people in the church. Whether this one or some other one, if this is called home to you, find a way to make that happen. It might be in a neighborhood group. Those meet weekly throughout the week in different homes, people gathering together. We have a mom's group We have guys meeting together for pancakes in the morning occasionally. We have membership, all these different avenues and structures. And of course, there's just things called coffee, meals that you just share with other people getting into each other's lives because it's an essential ingredient to you knowing and growing in the love of Jesus. Without community, you will stagnate. You will become unhealthy. You need community to comprehend the love of Christ. But Paul has more than this in mind, more than just this general principle of community. Because notice when he says, together with all the Lord's holy people, in the context of the last chapter, all God's people certainly refers to both Jews and Gentiles, all racial and ethnic groups. And even this word that's translated together with is translated and used six times in Ephesians 2 and 3. Six times. It's almost like a key word or code word for Paul referring to the unity that we share in community across our differences because of Jesus. So in this context, then, his primary level of application is this. Not simply community, but cross-cultural community is critical to knowing Christ's love. If I could just illustrate this idea, I want you to look around for a second at the sanctuary. If we were to say, we would love to get to know what this room is like. And each of you fixes your eyes on a different part. Maybe it's the wood in front of you, the color of the upholstery. Another person has a view to these three pictures over here that if you're sitting in the front row, you can't see. Another person in the balcony has a different view of things, the top of my head maybe, or the back of the sanctuary that someone at a lower point can't see. The left wall, the right wall, the back wall. The ceiling, the floor, each of us, depending upon where we sit and where we are looking, experience a different angle of what this sanctuary is like. Why? Because it is simply too big for any one person standing in one place to take fully in. If that's the case for a room, how much more so the infinite, immeasurable love of Christ. Which Paul goes out of his way to say, you just don't even know how long it is, or how wide it is, or how tall it is, or how deep it is, or how much space it fills. That's how big it is. Like a, a cathedral that fills the whole cosmos is how big the love of Christ is. And just in case you think you can attain that, he says, and you can't even get that. It's the unknowable love of Jesus that we're trying to know. And so he says, so you better well believe that you need people sitting in all different places in the room, experiencing different things of the love of Jesus through the different lenses of their backgrounds. 
where a Hispanic friend or brother or sister in Christ is able to share something unique that they are seeing and experiencing of the love of Jesus. And a black friend is able to bring a different thing to the table. And a white friend is able to rejoice in a way that might be shut out to a person of color or an Asian friend or someone that's biracial, multiracial, different backgrounds that we might have, different eyes, different perspectives. Because the love of Jesus is too big for any one kind of people to fully take in. And so Paul says, do this together with all God's holy people. And then you shall grasp how wide and high and long and deep and immeasurable is the love of Jesus. You see, cross-cultural community, it's not just for kumbaya, feel good about being together. It is not spiritual affirmative action. It is not for the purposes of taking attractive pictures on a church brochure or website. It is for something as basic as knowing the love of Jesus. There are certain things about the grace of God that you will never experience except in cross-cultural community. Doesn't mean that you can't know the love of God. I'm not saying that. Doesn't mean that you don't truly experience the gospel of grace. Paul is telling us here, there's more. There's more that you can have of Jesus when you're together and not apart. And of course, this principle applies across many dimensions of diversity in the church. Paul primarily is focusing on racial and cultural matters. But later in Ephesians, Paul touches on a few additional areas where this also applies. Generational diversity, the importance of having both young and old in the same community, ranging from children to parents to singles to the elderly. Gender diversity, the importance of being together as men and women, which is why in the, the, the majority of our ministries, we always want to have men and women in community together processing the life of faith because we need each other. We need each other. The diversity of social class, it's why we have this vision, this prayer for becoming an economically inclusive community, not just a community service community, but an inclusive community because rich and poor and middle class and everyone in between, we need each other if we want to truly know the infinite magnitude of the love of Jesus. John Stott, scholar, commentator on this passage, put it this way. Listen, the isolated Christian can indeed know something of the love of Jesus. Yes, but his grasp of it is bound to be limited by his limited experience. It needs the whole people of God to understand the whole love of God, all the saints together, Jews and Gentiles, men and women, Young and old, black and white, with all their varied backgrounds and experiences. And so, maybe this week, the call is for each of us to express 
in your actions, and maybe even with words, to a person that comes from a different background and any measure number of these uh, sort of differences and classic divisions, but to express and to say to one another, I need you in my life to know the love of Christ. To look at a person not like you and not just to coexist and not just to say, hey, isn't it great that we have a sort of a sort of diverse church? But rather to begin to build into the way that you connect a true interdependency and mutuality in the way we grow to say, by God's grace and based on the truth of God's word, I can say, I need you in my life to know the love of Christ. Lastly and briefly, uh, growing not only deeply and growing not only communally, Paul talks about growing expectantly. We're so full of cynicism. We talk about all these areas of growth and we say, maybe you've said in your heart, even in the last few minutes, now does that really happen? And I'm like that, cynical. City folks are cynical people. Sometimes that's why you're here, because you want to change things, because you don't think they'll ever change. Not unless you show up, right? Verse 20, check it out. Paul erupts in praise. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Paul is talking about growing with a kind of faith that helps you to expect that God is going to move. That you grow to expect that God is going to change you and change your life. That you have the kind of fullness of faith that says, if God can raise the dead, he can raise up deadness even in this church. You expect him to transform Grace Meridian Hill. That as you look out into the neighborhood and you see brokenness and hopelessness and despair... You say the kingdom of God is now here and is coming. You expect for God to change this neighborhood. Why? Because he is able, he is powerful to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So will you let your imaginations run wild, friends? And know that God can do even more. Will you let your prayers get bold and risky pushing what you think God can pull off even to its limits and then to know that God can do even more. All those things that feel impossible to you. All those things where you say, man, I can't do it. And maybe not even God can. That you would know that he's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. So let's start here. What are you asking And what are you imagining? And can you take it a good step further? Because God is good. And he is powerful. And his glory is in the church. This God who has power to help us to grow. Grow deeply. Grow communally. Grow in expectation. Grow as an individual. Grow as a church. Grow as a neighborhood. To the glory of Christ. And the good of our own lives. Are you coming to know this God? Are you growing in this God 
this Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. So we come to you, God, asking that you would do these things, not by our might, not by our uh, merit, but by your power, by your grace, by your spirit, whom we need deeply and desperately. But we know that we're not saying this or asking this with despair or cynicism. We're asking it because we know that you can do this and even more. To him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. It's in his name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Let's stand together and let's sing about the deep love of Jesus.